It's time for Mac Geek Cab, and listener Mark brings us our quick tip of the week. He says, here's a fun little fact I haven't seen before. The Vision Pro battery power indicator has a motion sensor on it, and only comes on when you move the battery. More quick, quick tips like this, plus your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 1026 for Monday, February 26th, 2024. Welcome to Mac Geek Gab here on this wonderful National for Pete's Sake Day. We're the show where you send in questions, tips like the one Adam just shared. Cool stuff found. We share all three. We try to answer your questions. Sometimes we bring questions of our own that we hope to get answers for as well. Because the goal is every single time we get together for each of us to learn at least five new things Sponsors for this episode include trinom.com slash MGG. This is yummy food for your pets, and you can get 50% off your no-risk two-week trial there at trinom.com slash MGG and betterhelp.com slash geekgab. You can give online therapy a try and get on your way to being your best self. We'll talk more in depth about most of those. Most of those? No, both of those in a little bit here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in South Dakota, I'm Adam Christensen. And greetings from Maastricht in the Netherlands. It's Pilot Pete. Happy uh, National for Pete's Sake Day there, Pete. There you go. Right on. I don't know. I <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been fun learning about what each of our release days for the show is. Because, you know, it, there's there's weird little things that... We have lots of them. It's not only National for Pete's Sake Day, by the way. There's there's lots of things. I put yeah. links to a lot of it in the show notes at MacGeekab.com just because it's fun. So, And what, what is it the day this show comes out? Uh, National for Pete's Sake Day, the day this no, show no, no. comes out, oh, February yeah, 26th. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I went back in time and was thinking that the next one was President's Day, but no, that was last week. That was last week. <laughs> correct. That's correct. Yes. We do record so, these time-shifted, some more than others, and this one for sure is time-shifted. Definitely shifted. more. We're recording this a full week out just because of some uh, some travel and all that good stuff. Uh, let's go to, let's keep doing quick tips, shall we, guys? Yeah, can I can I add something to that first quick tip? Please that's do. really interesting with the yeah. the battery, and I didn't realize this. Um, I think I watched Nazi Labs video, and he did a really good job, sort of breaking down some things that I hadn't heard about the Vision Pro before. So that battery, that tip is really cool. You pick it up, and you know the power indicator light comes on. But a lot of people are like, "Why can't I just plug a USB C power, you know, like right into the headset? Like, why do I have to have this battery pack?" And that cable only does power like that. It has a USB-C connector on the battery. It is power only. You cannot get data through it. If you need data, you got to get that expensive developer thing. That's uh, USB-C two. I think we talked about, Yeah. but a lot of people were like, well, why do I have to go through this battery for power? And the reason is, is the, that the headset takes or the battery takes 13 volts, which is really, really weird number. And then, I haven't found out exactly why Apple's doing 13 volts, but you have to go through the battery because they're going to have to regulate that stuff because 13 volts is not a standard PD uh, power step voltage. It's off. It should be like, you know, 12 or nine or, you know, yeah, like there's yeah. certain step yeah. voltages you have to use. Yeah, yeah. So 
they were doing some sort of smarts in there uh, to kind of manage that. So, but the, that then allows you to use any, you know, any PD wall plug to go into that. And then the headset's probably kept safe from any issues because it has weird stepping. So, huh. That is bizarre. Okay. Well, good to know. Like, uh, it's, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so we'll have it. to find out from Apple engineers someday why, why that ended up being the way it is. But, yeah, there could be a, a myriad of reasons, apparently. Yeah. And again, Snazzy yeah. goes into good detail about breaking down about possibilities, but we'll never really know until we know if if we are ever told. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, my experience is that those things usually come out at like a bar near WWDC at about yeah. 1114 p.m. That's that's been my experience. <laughs> Pacific Great. time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's. That's where you learn the things that you need to know that like, and it, it's not like they're divulging anything that, that they, that would be bad for it to be out into the world. Like that, I've never had anybody do that, but like no. the things that are helpful for, for troubleshooting and, and just super valuable for the nerdy things that we need to know. Like Apple is tight lipped about it until they're not until you get the right person. And then they're like, Oh yeah, you should definitely know how this works. Like a lot yeah, of the engineer. For engineering reasons, sorry. Yeah, for engineering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the core audio troubleshooting that we did a, a number of years ago was thanks to one of those kinds of conversations. So, yeah, it's interesting. All right. Um, Rick, he says, uh, you were talking a few episodes ago uh, in a segment about a person who using Apple Mail was not able to find some messages that someone sent them. I had the same problem a while ago and wanted to offer an alternative thought. In my case, I was on a support call. They sent me mail twice. I couldn't find them anywhere, including junk mail. Later, I realized that I had characters typed into the search field in mail, which is an immediate and active filter. It was persistent and I didn't see it there. After I removed that, of course, both messages showed up just fine in my inbox. I don't often use search and mail, so I didn't notice that there was anything there. It sounded like an errant character. You know, you put one character there. If you put like an E yep. there, it's going to find a lot of messages and make it seem like it might look like similar to your inbox. But no, it's not. Not your entire inbox. That's a good tip. I, I, I've been caught by that. Yep. Same. <laughs> same. <laughs> I yep. get caught by that. And it's not just mail. I mean, there's other apps that yes. do exactly the same way. Like, I think I've gotten caught, caught by that in Visual Studio, you know, when I'm developing, doing programming stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's next here? Shall we go to, uh, you want to take us to David, Pete? I can so do at this time. He says, hi, Mac Geek Gab guys. I'm another fan of Adam who followed him to this new venue. Well, welcome, Woo! David. We're glad you're here. Same. I was recently on a business trip in Europe and narrowly avoided disaster with my iPhone. When I travel, almost all of my critical travel information is on my phone for convenience and efficiency, and I would be in dead in the water without it. Two weeks ago, I woke up in a hotel in Italy. I was supposed to be in Ireland. Just kidding. And on a travel day with only a little time left before having to leave for the airport, only to find uh, that my iPhone screen was dead, no matter what I did. And all of my ticket and flight info was non-accessible with literally minutes to go before I had to be ready to leave. Major panic. Then I realized 
hey, Siri, still works. So I was able to call my wife back in the States and woke her up after midnight and had her do a brief search on the issue. Turns out this issue is not at all uncommon. And even though I had never heard of it before, black screen of death. The fix, to press the volume up button, the volume down button, then hold the power button on the right until the Apple logo appears as the phone restarts. After the restart, everything worked normally as I was able to make my, and I was able to make my flight and not miss some very important meetings. Enjoying your show, David. And I've been caught by the same thing, David. And it goes back at least to the iPhone 8, because that's where it happened to yep. me. And I had yep. the screen, and I thought mine was with the screen that was on, and it was completely frozen. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to wait a week for the battery to die with it not doing anything, at least a day yeah, before it'll restart. And I wandered into the Apple store and told them, hey, something's, my phone is broken. It, it, I've tried everything. And, you know, as, as I'm doing that, he's showing me the phone restarting. I'm like, wait, what'd you do? What magic is this? I had, <laughs> yep, um, and I it had, was UDP real quick. Just for I forget, yes. UDP up volume, down volume, power button. And that's how I remember it is because it, it's yeah. not TCP. It's UDP, you know, yeah. but that's a nerdy way of doing it. Um, yeah. I, I learned this on a bus. I was. Uh, I I had flown to Florida a day before podcast movement because I had been invited on this. I mean, truly once in a lifetime behind the scenes tour of the entirety of Kennedy space center with NASA. Like it was amazing. It was, it was for podcast movement, organized it for a, a select group of podcasters. And we talked about it on the show here. Like it, it was yeah. absolutely amazing to be able to do this, but get on this bus we're stopping at the first thing and my phone goes into like wedge mode, whatever. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like my laptop is not here. Like th how is it possible that the one time my phone decides to do this is the time where my phone is the only connection I have to the outside world to research how to fix this, you know? And I'm like, here, I have like this opportunity to take all these, these pictures and video of this behind the scenes and I'm not going to be able to do any of it. Like this sucks. And so we get off the bus and I have my phone in my pocket and it's just getting hotter and hotter. Like it's clear that this thing is very, very busy and I can't stop it. Right. And, uh, you know, so we go through the thing, the first bang building and I couldn't take any pictures and we get back on the bus as they drive us to the second one. And it dawns on me, wait, my iPad has, it was whatever iPad it was. It was the one that you could buy with a T-Mobile cell, uh, sim oh, yeah. in it. That you got like 250 megabytes of free data every month for the life of that SIM card or that that iPad. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And so I, I you know, choose your data wisely. I, I searched and I found this solution in the UDP thing. And it was like, save the day. So, yep. It's a good one. It it's, is a good yeah. one. It's no longer a paperweight. It's no longer a paperweight. Well, it was a hand warmer, Pete, because I needed yeah, that in August in Florida. In yeah. Florida, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you, unless you have more on that, Adam, we should Adam? move to Porthos John. No, no. All right. Good tip. Uh, onward we go. Yep. Porthos John is back with a bunch of Vision Pro tips. So strap in because we've got a few here. Uh, I found that activating control center by accident that I'm act I was activating control center by accident a lot. And I, I can agree with this, especially in some games. 
If you go into Settings, Control Center in the Apple Vision Pro, you can move the little carrot activator for Control Center up much higher in the display. So you have to look up farther to bring it into focus. So people might not even know this. With Apple Vision Pro, to activate Control Center, you look up and then it shows a little icon that you then tap on and it brings down Control Center. So you can control how far up you need to look to activate that because it is it is easy to accidentally activate that. Um, as posted in the MGG channel in Discord, if you have optical inserts, don't buy the Apple Vision Pro travel case because there's nowhere to put them. I just found this new case, which is smaller and has dedicated storage for everything. And that's the uh, Waterfield Designs uh, shield case for Apple Vision Pro, which is is gorgeous. It's much smaller. Um, and we'll have a link to that. So yep. that's good. But yeah, Apple advertises their case as having that storage. And it turns out it's a lie. It's, it's like the cake is being a, a lie. I mean, unless they unless they're counting the little pouch that you put everything in, but that's not going to protect your 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 lens inserts at all. There's no protection for that. So uh, I don't know what they're thinking. Hopefully, they changed. The, that's just a typo in their documentation or something. Right. Uh, if you want to be be able to carry your Apple Vision Pro optical inserts now, or just store them safely, look up a lens filter case on Amazon. There's hundreds made to store things like this. So mm-hmm. I am looking for something for optical inserts. I've just been using the original packaging. So I just kept the original packaging and they came in and when I pop them out, I put them back in that. But that's just, you know, a cardboard folded kind of thing. So yeah, right. it'd be nice to have something a little bit softer to protect those, you know, not so cheap lenses. Um, multi-port uh, GAN chargers seem to limit the amount of power that the Apple Vision Pro gets. Tested this with a cable that reports wattage. Even though my station offered 90 plus watts of PD, the Apple Vision Pro was only pulling about half of what it took from a dedicated Apple USB-C port brick. Note that this was to charge and use the Apple Vision Pro at the same time. Yeah, I think it's it's regulated. I want to say it's around, well, he says half. I thought it was around 60 watts that it would pull max. Um. And obviously, the charger that comes with it, I don't think is even a sixty watt charger. So sure, you can get a you can get a bigger one. But yeah, I think people have been doing some testing with those little things, and I, you know, it'll vary. It'll it'll vary what it's pulling. I think it's yeah, been, as every uh, as every device will, right? Yeah, I think it's also been proven that Apple is being very very uh, delicate about the battery. So the power cells that are in there, it actually has a lot more capacity than is advertised on the outside. And the theory is, is that Apple is only taking charging up to about eighty percent to extend the longevity of that battery. Oh. Like they they're being very delicate on on the Apple Vision Pro battery and not stressing it. And I think the idea is they're they're thinking a lot of people are going to use it plugged into the wall a lot, probably. Oh. So they don't want to be over overcharging it. Smart. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Apple Vision Pro Beta 1.1 is available. You have to turn on beta updates with the attendant warnings and has some significant improvements for the Persona beta imaging. I think that might even be out now. Is I it out now? Yeah, a this regular update, and I'm not doing. I'm not doing the beta. I know 1.2 is is on the way too. Maybe, so yeah, they're rapidly making improvements, and I think that's not surprising. Yep. You got a couple uh, more. When you were t- 
Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Two more. When you're tapping, be careful not to make a fist with the other three fingers of your hand as Apple Vision Pro can see this as a long hold and not see that you released your tap. Yeah. Tapping is a little bit tricky. And if you talk with your hands a lot, like I noticed this, like, don't do that. Like if you're talking to other people, like I oh. was demoing some things for other people with the iPad, you know, because you can mirror to an iPad or whatever. And if you start waving your hands around, you'll get false positives on your taps and stuff like that. So there's some improvements they can make there. And then so finally, wait, the, the, have... the, the, but, but there's a quick tip in there that if yeah. you are tapping and make a fist intentionally, that now is a long hold. A long hold, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or you can, I mean, I just tap and hold, but. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, so you might, can might do it with just a gesture. Yeah. Yeah, you can just pinch your fingers together and hold them as well. Yeah. And yeah. That will, that will work. But Okay. Uh, that can sometimes be tricky. So maybe actually making a fist might actually be a little. And this is a fist with your with your non tapping hand, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. Oh. All right. Cool. Interesting. Good quick tip. Yeah. Then, exactly. Yeah. Finally, if you have kids, note that the Apple will not do demos and does not recommend use for anyone under thirteen. Ah. Okay. Interesting. I would guess that's there's myriads of reasons, health reasons as well as just size reasons. I bet. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't even think about the size thing. That's probably the most obvious one. They don't want to have yeah. to figure out. Although there's adults with small heads too. So does um I I honestly don't know this. I mean, because obviously they have the little adjustment uh, built in for interpupillary distance. So when you first put it on, it has you hold the digital crown down and it will has motors that will adjust the yep. inner pupillary distance so does that change as you get older or is that i i honestly don't know like is that set got to be a certain some. point no as you're getting older it's got to be i mean as your as your face is yeah. growing certainly i don't know if yeah. like i don't know if it's changed for any of us in a couple of decades but uh yeah yeah, yeah. in fact i, I know that it hasn't changed age. for me in the last 15 yeah. years but yeah yeah where that's sort of locked in you yeah. know maybe there's a certain point in development yeah. so I know they're very concerned about everything because, like, if if you have the wrong light seal, like the distance or the lenses to your eyes, it will warn you. Yep. You know, it it is like very particular about distance wow. of things. Well, I guess all that is is essential to giving you the experience it gives you. I, I I think they're probably being super tight on mm-hmm. managing that experience and ensuring as best they can that everyone has this minimum level of of consistent experience. I think we'll yeah. see that loosen up over the next, you know, 3 to 5 years as as this product line matures and becomes more accepted. But the last thing they want mm-hmm. is that thing to come out now. There's already complaints about it that are not ready for prime time. Unfounded, but right, yeah, exactly. There, right. there are, there are, uh, you know, there's not enough apps. Like, there's those things that are like, well, that's a legitimate thing right now. Uh, so, yep, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it will tell you if even if you put it on and it's too low on your face or too high on your face or not close enough or too far. Like, it it is very adamant about making sure that it is Good. sitting exactly where it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Karsten brings us our next tip. Karsten says, in recent episodes, there were discussions on how to message people when they were sleeping to tell them they, you made it home or whatever without disturbing them. I highly recommend, says Karsten, the, using the encrypted messaging app called Signal. Signal provides a ton of features. You can add Signal to your focus mode and manage it from there. 
My family creates groups in Signal and have some notifications disabled, and we check them when we have time. Uh, he says, uh, I am a huge cybersecurity person, so not only are Signal messages encrypted, you can expire them. Our entire family uses Signal exclusively, even though we all have iPhones, and we all have auto message expiration set to four weeks or less. If an account is compromised, there is no message history to go through. Bonus feature, you have a default signal group called Notes to Self, and you can add links, images, and more to that group, which is then available on all your devices that you have signal. And you can use signal for phone calls using your data connection. So when you travel international, people with signal can call another signal person. I know WhatsApp can also do some of this, but signal, he says, is way more secure. Technology is convenient for anyone to stay secure. You must limit your digital footprint. Why use third-party web services to add a reminder? Oh, which over time can be sold to a data broker. Stay secure. Use signal. Hope this really helps. Thanks. I appreciate that, Karsten. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Like it, it's tough getting the world on a new message app that especially is not the default. Although it clearly, you know, most, if not all of Europe uses uh, WhatsApp as the default and that like works out really well. But, um, but to just get your family group on, signal might solve your your issue pete if you can uh you know i think you were you were the one that was that posed that that query initially which was how do i send a note back home without being concerned about waking people up right yeah it's brilliant karsten has a nicer answer than me which is let this be the opportunity for them to learn about do not disturb you know, oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> wiki, wiki. Teachy, teachy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we learned from pain. My Pete. wife that was awake at two o'clock in the morning and woke me up here in Europe at nice. know, eight o'clock in the morning. It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This doesn't work this way. <laughs> yeah. You want to oh, take no. us to the next one from Ben, Pete? I, I, I can do that. Ben wrote in and said, uh, well, looking at the Get info window uh, in the finder. I inadvertently pressed command I again, and it disappeared. Is this new inventor or Sonoma looking at the finder's file menu? When a when an info window is active, the get info command is replaced by close info window and carries the same keyboard shortcut. Cool. So if you're looking at a file, if you have highlighted a file in Finder and you hit command I, it opens the get info window and thusly closes it. I, I took it a step further and went to use option. Uh, yep. Command I, yep. and it opens the inspector. And if you use Control Command I, it opens the summary info. The question I now have in my mind is: I I don't see much difference on most files. All three of those windows appear to be pretty identical. Uh, although I will say I use the Get Info window if I want to change uh, what program opens my PDF files. For instance, yep. I'll highlight a PDF file, do Get Info, and say Open with. This program always that sort of thing. So that's how to quickly change that. Two for one, there, folks. And I, I have um, your money's worth. I have a, a three for one for you, Pete. Okay. Um, because the get info window and the get summary window are limited to uh, persist with the file that you selected. So if you select file A and you open up the get info window, and then in the finder you select file B. Your get info window stays with file A. You could then open a new one for for file B and and have multiples and all of that good stuff. Right. With the um the the, what what's the other one called? It's get it's the command the inspector, right? So holding down option, it looks like the get info window when you you know you select file A, open the inspector, 
But then when you select file B, that inspector window follows you and shows oh, you the really? information for whatever file you just clicked, which can be really handy if you're trying to get info uh, on multiple files, you know, kind of in, in series. So sure. that's what that is. And if you select three files or more and hit command, I you'll get a separate windows for each to open up at once. Yes. But yes. if yeah. you, but if you do with the control key and get summary info, then you get the summary of those three files. Okay. Same with inspector too. So if you do the option with three files, you get an, you get an aggregate. Yeah. You instead of separate windows. There you go. That that's the difference. Yep. Yep. So they do all look the same if you do Uh, them for one file file and don't change anything else. Yeah. (laughs) Click nowhere. (laughs) Or command I to close it, right? As uh as Ben just taught us. So and uh Matt in Discord replied that uh he's got a machine where he's still using Monterey. So Mac OS 12.7.3 and it behaves the same. So these go back at least that far. So yeah, good stuff. Todd brings us a tip from our, from our tip in Mac Geekab 1024. This one, this one has generated a lot of follow-ups. I shared that tip about adding a name to your, uh, adding an entry okay. to contacts for people who SM for companies and brands who SMS and, uh, and Todd says, uh, I take it one step further. I copy or screenshot the company's logo from their website and add it to that entry in contacts. My, I will see the logo much more quickly than the name. Um, however, Apple's contacts app will not let you paste the image in, but you can drag the image file in from the desktop over the round contact picture icon and it will add it. So that's good to know. Thank you, Todd. Good stuff. And one more on uh, or from that same thing was, uh, was Andrew. Uh, he says, uh, it occurred to me to do this same thing that Dave, you suggested years ago. Uh, I've gone one step farther as well. He says, I get many reminders for appointments from my doctor, my dentist, my barber, my vet, etc. Here's what I did. I created a single contact called appointments, and I put all of those phone numbers in this as uh, multiple numbers for the same contact. He says, I don't know how many I have in there, but it's a lot. When a new one comes in, I just save that number to the existing appointments contact and this way, I just get a text message from appointments and I can, you know, do the confirmation or whatever it is. I guess it goes back to the right number. I, that, that would be the, the one thing, oh, right? Yeah. Like, but I think, I think it would reply to the correct number because a lot of times you get the, you know, press one to confirm, press two to cancel or whatever. But uh, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know how that all works. But, um, but maybe I, you're yeah. sending the word yes to 10 numbers. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, but I don't know likely. what you're confirming at that point. Right. Like, yeah. or, you know, if you choose cancel, does it now cancel all your pending appointments? I don't know. I, no, I, know. I, I would assume it's an SMS that's coming in from the number that, yeah. you know, sent yeah. it right. Yeah. You're going to reply to the number that sent it. You know, what if you get three in a row before you reply to the first one? Oh, what <laughs> you happens? Might miss it. Yeah. You might miss it. That's it. That's it. All right, folks, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If I could code extra time into our day, I'd vote for more gratitude. 
But since we can't yet download extra hours, why not enrich the time we do have? I'm in therapy. I've mentioned that. And it's been like upgrading my mental OS. Learning to focus more on gratitude lately has been truly a game changer for me. It's not always about those major overhauls. Sometimes it's the small updates that really enhance our lives. And that's where BetterHelp, our sponsor, comes in. Imagine having access to therapy that's just as flexible as your favorite streaming service. No waiting rooms, no software updates, just help when you need it. You fill out a brief questionnaire, match with a licensed therapist tailored to your needs, and if you decide you need to switch things up, you can change therapists with no extra charge. So don't get caught running on low. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GeekGab today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash GeekGab. Upgrade your mental firmware. It's time to reboot with gratitude and BetterHelp. And I feel gratitude towards BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. All right. And have you ever noticed how our tech gear gets sleek updates, but our dog's meals? Not so much until now. Enter our sponsor, Nom Nom. Think of it as the gourmet algorithm-optimized meal plan for your dog. Our dog, Callie, gave it a try. And let's just say her tail's been wagging like it's trying to set a new world record. She loves this. It's been her favorite food that she's eaten in months. Nom Nom dishes out meals with real ingredients. No tech jargon, no additives, just pure doggy delight. It's like Apple's design philosophy, but for your dog's dinner. And get this. Every bite is backed by science and tailored to your furry friend's needs. And they've got board-certified veterinary nutritionists designing every recipe. Plus, free shipping right to your door. So don't get caught treating your tech better than your pet. Upgrade their meals with Nom Nom. If Callie's gourmet tail wags are any indication, your dog's going to love it. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash mgg. Spelled trynom.com slash mgg for 50% off. Trynom.com slash mgg. And watch your dog turn into the happiest geek on the block. And our thanks to Nom Nom for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, Gene brings us to our first question this week. He says, I've heard you all talk about the importance of backing up our devices. I replaced an old PC with an M2 Mac Mini, which is great. Do I need to get a second external drive for the mini for time machine or do I even need to bother backing up at all? Adam, you want to uh, you want to take this 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 uh, this hot potato? Yeah, maybe the most opinionated person here on backup. I and I think I've talked about this, but I I got burned many, many years ago with a photo library. Mm. And when you get burned, then you learn, you know, my own fault wasn't backing up and uh, lost, you know, precious photos. And, and so ever since then, I have been fanatical about backup. I follow the philosophy. If it's not in three places, it's not really backed up that whole, that whole thing. And so I went all in on backup and I've been that way for years and years and years and years. So my personal opinion is yes, you need at least a backup. And I, and I've said this on my show, I think I machine, if you're not doing anything else, Get a time machine drive. My general rule is get one double the size of your internal drive because that'll give you enough little history in there. Plug it in. It will ask you the question, do you want to use this for time machine? You say yes. 
you are done for that machine. Obviously, with Time Machine, if you're direct connecting, you've got to do it for each machine. A little bit more difficult. I have this problem with my family, right? They they use laptops. They never plug them in. I have Time Machine drives. So I was like, I have to remind them, have you plugged in your Time Machine drive recently? Like once a week, plug it in. Like you don't have to get crazy about it like I am. But I think, yes, I you want a form of backup and how far you take it. That's maybe the other part of this discussion, in my in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, right? If your data is not in two places and, and the you know, there's that whole three to one philosophy, which is, you know, you want three copies of your data, the actual copy, and then essentially two backups. And the, um, the one of them should be in the cloud or off site, you know, and I do appreciate the sentiment and agree with the sentiment behind that. Uh, the question is to whether users, we as users, need to take any steps that one would call backing up. I, I'm not convinced we need that anymore. And, you know, your family's scenario with, with, with that you described where they all have laptops. And so you can't just plug a drive into their machine and expect it to be plugged in again later without pestering your family. That's common for most people now, right? Most computers yep. are laptops. And and then we have these other things that are computers called phones and iPads and Vision Pros, right? And so do they store data on them? Yes. You know, do you back up your phone? I, I don't know. Do you? Like you can back up to iCloud. Is that enough? Mm-hmm. I would say that most people, if you get a Mac or a, an iPhone out of the box, and you set it up, you connect it to to iCloud, and you use it as default with, uh, uh, maybe I say as default, if you use it with document syncing turned on. I, and I, I, I don't know if that's the default anymore. No, I think you have to turn it I on. I think you have to turn it on. So not default, but if you turn on iCloud document and data syncing, which almost certainly requires a paid iCloud plan to get enough storage to do that, then I don't. Like then I think you're fairly well covered. I'm not saying that choosing to add another layer of backup is bad. It's never bad. I do. Yeah. But that is what most people are doing. And I think that that's enough for most people to be covered in most cases. Uh, you can certainly outsmart yourself by saving things outside of your documents or desktop folder. Even once you have syncing turned on, it will warn you, though. Your Mac will warn you if you drag a file from your documents folder to somewhere else, if it's being synced, it'll say, hey, are you sure you want to take this off your iCloud drive? Which is good. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm going to lose it if. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there are steps to take. But if you're syncing your documents via some syncing service, and I know people argue sync is not backup. And, and I agree with that. But it is a form of like it's another copy of your data until you delete it. So. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 that said, I absolutely still make sure I use Time Machine uh, at least on all of my Macs, including my laptop. So, yeah. And, and, and especially for the valuable data that you cannot replace. You know, I had neighbors that lost all their photos years yeah. ago because it was on one hard drive. And I mean, you know, kids' photos gone that and sucks. they didn't have it, but one digital copy of it. No, it does suck. And it's, yep. Please, but, you know, for that data that's like that, absolutely, three, two, one. Um, well, but iCloud Photo, do you need, if you have iCloud Photo Library, 
Yeah, this was this was fair enough. That was pre iCloud Photos. Exactly. But I'm wondering, does a uh, you know does a ransomware get in there and and hose you because it's connected? Yeah. You no. Know, so having one that you can disconnect. Well, and you're putting a lot of trust in Apple, right? And not to say that they don't have backups of backups of backups. I mean, right? But you're still relying yes. on iCloud. So if iCloud borks one day for whatever reason, you know, EMP, they're not a target I, of them. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, Apple's not yeah, a target, yeah, but they have it in multiple. I like, I trust that they're probably not, they probably have a robust system enough now where there's, they have their own backups. There's multiple yeah. locations. Like sure. they, I'm sure the engineers have thought of this, but again, you are putting your faith. Yes. In iCloud hundred percent. So if you're okay with that and you think that's that's good, then I like I just prefer the my mental even just mentally knowing that yeah. okay they have a copy, I have a copy. So if I screw up, I can use theirs. If they screw up, I can use mine. Yep. Like, no, I, I do the same thing. I, I do exactly <laughs> the same thing. I would bet, and I, I suppose owning some Apple stock, I do bet this money. Uh, I would bet money that. Apple has gone out of their way to ensure that any given user's photos will never get comp get lost or damaged or, or whatever uh, with iCloud because all it takes is once and then it makes the news and spreads like wildfire and that's it. People like the world doesn't trust Apple with their data anymore. And that would be awful. Yeah, but for Apple, the music, the music yeah. library thing happened, right? Where yeah, iTunes music library borked a bunch of people's like uploaded audio. So it did, but but <laughs> as terrible as that is, and that was uh, that was like uh, the most ham-fisted thing we've seen Apple do. Right? Was that for most people, the audio that they lost was audio that was recoverable in some other way because it was recorded by someone else, right? These are songs, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas your photos, you made those. There is no <laughs> other like, oh, well, that sucks that I have to go through this major headache, but I can still get that song again. Like, I, I know there were some yeah. people that lost original music and that, like, that's awful. Yeah. But most of the people that were affected by that, it was you know, songs that were commercially available. So yeah, major I mean, inconvenience, but not disaster inconvenience, An not disaster. Right. Another one that I'll throw out that, I, you know, I do, um, I download, make sure I, I, on at least one Mac, I download all my Apple purchased videos oh. and create a backup of those because those are not guaranteed to be licensed for forever. That's right. So people should be aware of that. Like Apple can make that go away. If you still have the file, it will still work. Um, but if you don't have a copy of the file and they've removed it from Apple servers, you're never getting that file back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian 8944 in our discord at uh, live.macgeekab.com shared a very important uh, add on here. bit of advice related here. And that is test your backups and make sure you know how to restore because a backup is nothing if you can't – it's not a backup if you can't restore right. from it. And I don't mean that it cannot be restored from. That would also call it not a backup. But if you don't know how to restore your backup, 
it, it is far less valuable to you. You don't want to have to call in help in that moment just because you haven't, you don't know how to restore from your backup. This is something you can test. You can, I recommend you do this regularly once every six months, go to your backup, pretend you need to restore a file, go through the motions and every backup is different. Time machine has their thing where you can enter time machine, carbon copy cloner. You just mount the drive and look in the folders you know, if you use something like Backblaze, go online, restore a file by downloading, you know, copying it from their system down to yours. Just have a working knowledge of that restoration process so that when you are in a panic moment, you're not panicked about that. You're like, ah, I know what to do. I can, I can, you know, I can do this. So, yeah. 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 Another, another kind of tip related to this, because you mentioned, you know, turning on desktop and documents and, and just using iCloud in general. Yeah. Um, not only is it good, just you have you know, essentially another copy of your files that are in the cloud. If you are especially all in in the a- Apple ecosystem, like a lot of us, it just makes upgrading and getting new devices and just like doing anything just so convenient. So my daughter is in college now and she had this really old uh, 12 inch MacBook Air and she called me just last week and she's like, it won't start. My oh. machine won't start. And I'm like, oh. And uh, we tried a bunch of things and it basically had died. It just died. And, and it was really old. I had asked her before she wanted, if she when, if she wanted a new computer, she said no. And I'm like, you think you should have a new computer? But anyway, she called me. So I'm like, all right, I bought you new, I bought you new M2 MacBook Air. Go to, go to Best Buy, pick it up. And when you get home, just, you know, flip it on. And when it asks you, I had sent her a time machine backup too. So she restored from time machine backup, but she also had iCloud. So yeah. like, you turn that thing on. Do you want all your stuff back? Yeah. And it just sucks it all in and you're done. And same thing with iOS devices or like setting up my vision pro, like it's worth having that, especially if you're in the ecosystem and you're okay with Apple iCloud, just turning that on and paying for it. It's paid for itself in my opinion over and over. Yes. Uh, Yes. I, I totally agree. It, I, I have plenty of iCloud storage. We buy two terabytes for the family. And I think we've used, I mean, a lot of it, you know, mostly photos, but we're probably at 1.3, 1.4 terabytes or something. Like we've got a lot of headroom. Uh, Years before that was like a thing, I moved away from Dropbox for doing this syncing to uh, Synology Drive because I own the storage and I didn't want to have to pay Dropbox every month. And so I just did that. I, I think if, I had iCloud Drive then. I don't know that I, I – I think I would have just continued to pay for iCloud Drive like I do and stored all of my documents there uh, because it, you're, you're right. It makes it so easy. Yes, Synology Drive integrates with Apple's Files app on the phone, and you can get you know any app that supports Apple's Files thing for – loading data or whatever on your iPhone, you can see into Synology drive, but it's one layer removed and it's not all right there in the prettiest way. And for things like for things that I know that I'm going to use on my iPhone or iPad, like scores for musicals or whatever, those I store in a folder on iCloud drive because I don't want to have to deal with the, oh, yeah, Synology Drive is weird and it doesn't always save the favorites right. And, you know, but can I get to my data? Yeah. But 
for those kinds of things, I just like it to be where I, where I expect it to be. So yeah, no, iCloud iCloud Drive is great. Yeah, yep, yupper, and it's offsite in the in that sense because you know it's it's the cloud, right? So right. yep. Tony had uh, an interesting little anecdote, and I figured I would I would share it here. It's a, it's a tip, but not so quick. He says his main machine is an M1 Air, and it's connected uh, via a CalDigit hub to Ethernet, and then also to Wi-Fi, so that when he disconnects, he still has you know Internet when he's uh, wherever he is. Doing a random speed test, I noticed my download speeds were less than half of what they had been. I was got 350 megabits per second, whereas I usually uh, get 900. He says, I turned off Wi-Fi on the Mac and speeds jumped back to that 900 megabits per second. Maybe not what most people would expect. He says, I know you know what comes next. Go to system settings, network, and hidden in the lower right corner is the action pop-up. Choose set service order. And when I went in there, he says, Somehow, Wi-Fi had been promoted to the top of the list. The Mac will use the services in the order listed from top to bottom, cascading down. So whichever the first one it finds is, that's the one that it will use for your internet connection. It will actually use all of them simultaneously for local network connections, which is really handy. But the first one it finds is what it uses as your default gateway for your internet connection. Says I reactivated Wi-Fi, moved it to the number two slot just below Ethernet, and now my problem solved. When I'm plugged into Ethernet, it uses that for Internet. When I disconnect from Ethernet, that connection doesn't exist, so it falls back to Wi-Fi, which is number two, and everything works fine. What's cool about it, and he's totally right, by the way, like doing this makes perfect sense. And if you are on a computer where you're switching back and forth, absolutely uh, go check that. And my advice would be to do exactly what Tony did and put ethernet as the top one so that you have, uh, you have the, you know, the fastest speeds available there where I use this a lot is if I'm testing a new router or something, I want to stay connected to the internet. I want to connect to this router that I haven't yet connected to the internet. And so I connect via Wi-Fi to the router. I'm ethernet connected to my network here, and I can get on the internet, I can download firmware updates for a router or whatever, and still connect to the router via Wi-Fi because it's two different IP subnets. When I put in the subnet, you know, the address for the router, it knows, oh, this subnet is routed to Wi-Fi, internet routed to Ethernet because of that set service order thing. And you can do it all and you feel like a networking master when you do these things. So you too can be a networking master by set service order. I don't know. Yipper. So... Thank you for sharing that, Tony. Good stuff. I like uh, I like making sure that everybody knows how to manage their networks. Thoughts on that? Any? Nope. Nope. Good tip. Yep. Yeah, it is Absolutely. a good tip. All right. Yes. Uh, Anthony has a uh, and, and he sent this in as an audio comment, at which we will play. And it's a couple of minutes long, but he has such a he he articulates a problem that I know. All three of us have experienced, and I think pretty much everybody with an iPhone has experienced. And then he proposes a solution, and I'm curious to see after hearing his solution if any of the three of us have a better idea, because I don't know that we will. So take it away. Hi, uh, I have an iPhone query, but before I get to that, I wanted to say that 
I love the podcast. Um, I have come over with Adam. It's great to hear how you all interact and bounce off each other. Uh, you are now my go-to Apple podcast, and uh, long may it continue. So I'm Anthony from the UK, and when I use my iPhone, I I have notifications appear as banners uh, when the screen is in use. And I often find myself in an app. Um, let's say uh, use the Notes app for for example. I'll be in the Note. And I want to press the um, the Back to Notes button in the top uh, corner. And when my finger begins to descend, uh, a millisecond or two before it makes contact, uh, I might get a, a message will appear as a banner, um, say an iMessage or a WhatsApp message. And my finger will press that, which then not only takes me out of notes, which I don't want, but will then open the message app and open the message itself and potentially return a read receipt to the sender for a message that I didn't even want to read. From visual stimuli, a a quick response time for the eye to send a signal to the brain to process it and then for the brain to send a signal to the hand is about 250 milliseconds. Then there's a travel time from the finger to the screen. So let's say, hypothetically, the finger is actually just hovering above the screen. So... And let's, let's say for argument's sake that the travel time is virtually instant. See, but you've still got a 250 millisecond gap between seeing something and your finger then responding and pressing. So even so the phone knows that I pressed that banner within, say, 20 milliseconds of it appearing. It would therefore be impossible for me to have meant to have pressed that even if I was actively waiting for the banner to appear, yes! it'd be impossible for me to react, react and press it so quickly. You're not Therefore, it'd be great to have an additional optional feature in settings, which, when activated, would ignore any key press within, say, 200 milliseconds. Instead, it would trigger the item directly below it, and and this could be customized. I don't know, say, from 100 milliseconds to 300 milliseconds to suit someone's timing or, or response time. And uh, obviously it would be optional to turn it on or off and you could call it something like realistic react time or something like that. There is a feature in accessibility that could potentially help a little, which is accessibility, touch, touch accommodations. But nothing in there that I can see that does what I need. The nearest uh, could be the one called tap assistance gesture delay, but I've not really had much joy with that one. Anyway, I thought it'd be interesting, and I wasn't sure if anyone else had, had come across that, or if there was an app even, or, or, or a, a workaround that would um, allow for something like that to happen. But I just thought it was interesting. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All the best, and um, I look forward to the next episode. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, this is, uh, like, I don't know what else. Yes, I have experienced this. Yes, it's super frustrating every freaking time I experience this. <laughs> and it, I know, like, Apple engineers must suffer this too. Right. You would think. <laughs> you would think. Yep. Yep. Or maybe they have 20 millisecond cat light reflexes, you know, and can. <laughs> oh, the worst part, the worst part is uh, when I know it's happening. Like I, I yeah. can't stop my finger from hitting that freaking notification banner and I know it's going to happen. And, and then it happens. Like it, I'm aware that I am unable to stop myself from doing exactly what I don't want to do. It's, uh, yep. And he's right about that responsible react time. 
Like that's what. Why that's isn't what that coded yeah. in there? I assume uh, you you know, experienced this too, Adam, right? Um. Don't, I don't, don't know, don't, but I think it's no. main, well, I think it only might be because I don't know that I ever use because this is where the tap target for the like back to another app is, right? Like up right in the, the top right hand corner. Yep. Or upper left. I don't yeah, know whatever. that I use that feature very much, to be honest. Well, it's with happened you. to me like going to put my I do finger the into swipe a search up, switch window. thing or whatever from the bottom when I'm jumping between yeah. apps or going back and forth. Like I don't I always forget that that feature is even there. So I, like I'm not tapping up in that well it's happened to me adam screen. when i've gone to put in something in a search window you know i'll go to put you know that's at the top and yeah. as i go to put it in there and the notification comes up and hits it's like oh come on i find it in mail when i'm like navigating back yeah. to a you know the, the mailbox above or something or back back to the mailbox if i'm in a message yeah. i want to go back to the mailbox without archiving my mail so that's in the upper left and i just i go to hit it and it's like there comes the notification yeah. it's like I'm this sure is, that's this ha- is I'm when sure daddy swears. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very sure that it's happened to me. Yeah. I don't remember it happening to me that frequently. Interesting. And I don't okay. know why. I mean, I also, I hate notifications. So I have my notifications dialed way, way down. And I don't like, I especially don't like the persistent one, you know, yeah. the one that is like, it's going to stay up in the corner yeah. until I deal with it. No. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, so uh, that is the only, currently that's the answer. You can put your phone. You can either m- disable all of those banner notifications when you're using your phone and just have them show up on the lock screen or in notification center when you go turn them into pull notifications in a, in that sense, right? Not push yeah. when, especially when you're interacting with your phone. But I kind of want. There are certain things that I want to notify me. Yeah, and and I probably have more things turned on for that than than i normally would like I, I think if i did go into manage notifications and turn off the banners for certain apps i'd probably be okay with it you know but i i that, that requires time and thought adam i don't <laughs> no, want to it's it's a pain in the butt yeah like you have to really actively manage it and you know when you update Every or new add app, a new app yeah. or like yeah you have to like be on top of it but they annoy me so much that it's like, I, I only want certain ones. You know, I want messages from my family, uh, you yeah. know, important emails. Like I'll even dial them in. I think you can do some things with VIP. I forget all the things that I've done. Yes. But like, you know, yes. Yeah. Like <laughs> every other message I don't care about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a hidden quick tip in there then too, Adam, is that you turn off the persistence of the notifications. You have to and I'm dial like, oh, it in. Yeah. Yeah, it it takes forever. Like, who wants to do it? But yeah, yep, yep. I I agree. Well, yep. Greg asks, that brings up a, the, can you swipe away a persistent notification on your iPhone using your watch only? I don't know. I don't know that oh, either. Oh, if you dismiss it on your watch, does it does that cascade oh, to your other devices? Yeah. I think yes. I yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. I, I do it. This does bring up a Vision Pro question because this happened to me the other day. So Vision Pro has notifications too. And the way it works is a message comes in and then you'll get the app icon sort of floating in your okay. your vision. So you get the ding and then there's like the app icons there. Yeah. I need to go into settings. I haven't messed with it too much. But a, a mail one came in the other day when I was watching a movie or something like that. And um, it persisted. And I didn't know how to make it go away other than to tap on the 
icon basically and then that pulls up the message and then you've got to like look at it and then dismiss it. I'm like, I just want that to go away. Like, yeah, I don't want to interact away. with it. Yeah. Like I'm everywhere I'm looking, it's like following me. I'm like, uh, I got to find that setting. So I'm yeah. sure I'm just missing a setting. I'm sure this is a me problem. Uh, but maybe somebody can help me point me in the right direction on what I'm doing. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go ahead and mess with them. Yeah. That was super annoying. It's like, okay, I know a mail came in. I don't want to deal with that mail right now. I'm watching a movie. Like just go away and i waited i thought it would like fade away and it's like no it's not going away okay how do i dismiss it i don't know what the gesture or the magical incantation is to like swipe it away you know i i think the the, <laughs> the gestures i would try in that scenario is i would put a fist up right and then i would start experimenting with one finger at a time to right. put my thumb up does that do it no put my like you know and just go through your fingers and and at the very least with it with one of them you'll feel better even if it doesn't solve yeah, the problem exactly yeah. exactly yeah yeah <laughs> um back to the phone thing though you you mentioned the watch so you could set your notifications up so that they don't come in when your phone is awake, you know, or you're in use, but do show like only show up on the lock screen on your phone, but do tap your wrist with your watch. And so that would be another way to get around oh, yeah. this. You'd have to like to do that. You would have to be someone who's wearing your Apple watch most of the times yeah. that you would want those notifications. Right. Like uh, obviously, but otherwise, yeah. And it's going to get, and it's going to take time to get through all the apps that will notify That's you. The but, thing, because yeah. then you have to turn off the mirror my notifications from my iPhone settings on the watch and go manage yeah. them all there too. Like this becomes an exercise in frustration. But yes. Anyway, shall we go to yes, our, our next question from Cruiser Pete? Mm-hmm. We can do that. I have the technology and I'm engaging it at this time. Cruiser says, I'd love to get some thoughts on a strategy for the drives in my Synology. I have a DS916 that I bought in mid-2017 with four 8-terabyte Western digital drives that have been in the unit from the beginning. I shucked the drives from the WD Easy Store uh, enclosures bought at different times, so I don't expect they were from the same manufacturing lots, But this me- and this means all four drives are about to hit the seven-year mark. The only blemish on the drive health reports is that OneDrive has had a few reconnection attempts, but that count hasn't increased in over a year. The unit's in clean condition and good temperature range. Given the age of the drives, I'm wondering whether I should start replacing them over time one by one. The total volume is 20 terabytes with about 5 terabytes free, so I don't have an urgent need for additional space, but I'd probably replace them with, say, maybe 12 terabyte drives. I'm worried, mostly I'm worried, given the vintage age of the drives, that uh, if I don't start replacing them, I might see multiple failures in close succession. However, there's also not really any use in trying to guess which one will fail first or (laughs) next, so that essentially leaves me with the option of replacing them all one by one, or of course, waiting until a failure occurs, which then takes me back to the first point above the concern that the second drive may fail shortly thereafter, even during a rebuild. Any suggestions on how to think about this? Yeah, the you know, in a corporate environment, and I realize that's not you, but what generally happens is there is a planned uh, replacement schedule, right? You know, you, you buy drives and it's like, okay, we're going to replace these in four years and you do one drive every three months or something and, and, you know, get yourself moved up and all of that good stuff. And by doing that, you can budget for it. And most of the time you'll do that in sync with the warranty of the drive. So when the drive is out of warranty, 
it's either being replaced or has been replaced. So you can, you know, really carefully and easily predict your budget on these because if one happens to fail early, well, it's under warranty. You're good to go. So that is one strategy to take. It is not the strategy I take, but it is one strategy to take. Um, I replace drives in one of two scenarios. If I need more space, I replace the drive. And I'm always bummed when that's the reason that I replace the drive because my preferred time to replace the drive is after it has failed. Uh, I have, I keep, I use a five bay distation as kind of my main distation. And I use four bays for volume one. And then bay five is always a hot spare. So, and that hot spare is usually larger than any other drive in there. And that's how I expand my storage is I let those hot spares when they have to take over for a smaller drive that died. Well, now I'm good to go. I've, you know, my storage slowly kind of just increases over the years. That's the beauty of SHR Synology hybrid raid. You can do, uh, you can have drives of different sizes and it'll do all the things. Sometimes when you put a larger drive in, you won't be able to use all the new storage on that drive until you have another drive that either is equal or matching to it. All of those things. Uh, but yeah, that that that's my strategy. It works well. Having a hot spare makes me feel okay about it because I have one drive fault tolerance set up on my disk station, and it, when a drive dies, I you know I'm good. It can instantly, whether I'm home or not, I don't have to touch it. The hot spare thing just kicks in, and I'm good to go. Um, but recently, I had to add a drive and pull out a perfectly good working drive that was too small and it really kind of it bummed me out but i mean it's nice that drives last so long <laughs> but yeah, <right. laughs> like i should be happy about this but it's like well now what do i do with this drive it's i can't oh it sucks it's, it's still good yeah but you know it's fine yeah it's how it goes. i think my drives are eight years old in my synology yeah so yeah, yeah. okay yeah i i still have the ones i think you sent me dave and yeah they're still running great they, they <laughs> spindle drives last a long time and you usually get some warning that it's on its way out. You'll get errors showing up. You'll get things showing up. And at some point your disk station will just be like, okay, I'm done with this thing. You can, it, like if I see that a drive is, you know, the error count is going up every week or something. Cause I, I get, you'll, you can set your Synology to notify you about drive failures or drive errors. When I see that number kind of going up every month or every week or whatever it is, um, I will sometimes be like, okay, the time has come. And then really all I do is just yank the drive out. Um, and then the hot spare is like, Hey, we lost a drive. I'm going to do this. And then I take the drive and throw it away and good to go and put it. And then I, put, then I order a new drive that's larger to put in as the hot spare and we're off to the races. So, so I have, I have a personal Synology, uh, question issue yeah, for you yeah. that follows up on this a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why, why, but my Synology, the drive doors, the the drive doors have started failing. The I little had one go, really, yeah, where it just popped out and it won't it won't stay in anymore. It won't the trays. click lock back in. Huh. No, so one failed, and then two weeks later, another one failed. So my Synology's sitting there. <laughs> it still runs. It yeah. still works, but I can't I can't push those things in anymore. Like the little tabs, I don't know if they've just over time 
heated enough that they just won't stay anymore or whatever. And I don't know what to do about it. Like, I guess I could contact Synology and see if they'll send me new trays. But well, that's the question. Is it? And, and you would only be able to know this if you turned off your disk station and, and tested this, but be really careful that you keep the drives in the right order. I, like I, you know, but my, my curiosity is, is it the tray that has the problem or is it the latch on the disk station itself that has the problem? It's, oh, that, no, it's definitely the tray because I had an open bay. And so the, when the first one failed, I, Took that out. I shut it down. Yeah. Took that out. Took the one drive out. That yes. Had opt open. Yeah. Swapped the drive into the new tray and swapped them. Okay. And it worked fine. And it yeah, worked. So yeah. it's the tray, not the not the. Uh, okay. You can get yeah. you can get new trays, and if Synology won't send them to you, let me know because I probably have some like spare <laughs> leftovers from old disk stations that I, I don't, that yeah. I don't have anymore. It was so, just the yeah. weirdest thing. I'm like. Oh, when the, and when the first one went, I kind of blamed the cats. I'm like, oh, maybe the cats were bumping it because they'll walk around it sometimes, you know, like, are they bumping up against it? And I thought it just popped out for that reason. And I'm like, did they somehow break it? And then again, two weeks later, huh. another one's another one's flipped out. And I'm like, okay. Wow. Um, there, I, again, I, it runs fine. It just looks bad. I, it, just, I Probably more dust is getting in there now than should, but. I found a Reddit article as I was putting this in the show notes. My drive caddies oh. won't close and I suspect it's due to a faulty clip. I ordered replacement ones so you can buy replacement clips. Okay. It, so that, that would be the, yeah, uh, that's the little part that I think failed. Yeah. 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 Totally. Uh, and somebody pointed at an eBay listing for, you can buy 10 latches for $13 and 49 cents on eBay. So I think that's right. your, yeah. use four and sell six. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll put, I, I, I've been, I've been wanting to get a new Synology anyway. Sure. So like that, that might be the ultimate solution. <laughs> it's because the one I have is really old. I can't okay, remember yeah, the model. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's, uh, there you go. That's, uh, that's some cool stuff found. It's Synology replacement right. tray latches. Let's, uh, I do want to do a couple of show stuff, cool stuff founds, but I also, uh, want to do, uh, a little bit of show business here. I know the whole thing is show business, right? Uh, it, I want to thank all of our premium contributors whose contributions have come in, in the last few weeks. And there are, uh, I don't know, about 25 or so here. Uh, you can learn more about Mac Geek Gab premium at, MacGeekGab.com slash premium. You, this is not mandatory by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it is very appreciated and is a huge part of what allows us to keep doing what we're doing. So a big thanks to everyone who is a premium member and uh, those contributions that came in recently. $10 contributions from Corey in Midlothian, Jeremiah in Edgewater, Cal in Russellville, Donald in Furlong, Chris in Charleywood, James in San Antonio, Mark in Coopersburg, Scott in Bourbonnaise, Neil in West Hartford, Abel in Santa Rosa, Timothy in West Windsor, Frank in Voorhees, Warren in Gloucester, Barry in Des Plaines, Brian in Southbury, Santiago in Palm City, John in Wake Forest, Frank in Tunbridge, and Kevin in Edison. Uh, so thanks to your $10 contributions. Thanks to all of you for your $10 contributions. Thanks to Bob in Lepesh for a $15 contribution. Thanks to uh, 
uh, I got to get back in the thing here. Thanks to for uh, Joseph in Furquay Varina for a $25 contribution. Additionally, $25 contributions. Thanks to Louis Michel in St. Laurent, Joshua in Parts Unknown, Margaret in Waukegan, Elliot in Brookline, Jeffrey in North Belmore, Glenn in Baldwin, and David in Farmington Hills. Thanks to Bob in St. Charles for a $30 contribution, Larry in Baton Rouge for a $60 contribution, and Walt in Mill Creek for a $100 contribution. Thank you so much. Again, MacGeekCab.com slash premium is where you can go to learn about all of that, and we are very, very appreciative to all of you. We're appreciative to everybody who listens. That that really is step one here, and uh, I, I hate to put it this way, but if that's quote-unquote all you choose to do, that's huge. Uh, it is not a just listening that you are the most important part of this show as a listener. So uh, that please stay subscribed and share the show with a friend. We'd appreciate that. Absolutely. Share the show, share Do the show, now. Do it now. Uh, MacGeekUp.com. It's easy. You want to take us to cool stuff found from John Adam? Yeah. Yeah. So this is really neat. Uh, we were doing on Sunday, our hangout that was on February 18th. And the subject was web browsers, uh, basically at Mac web browsers. And that naturally led into a discussion about ads and ad blocking and a bunch of other things. But ultimately, someone brought up the, the point that, hey, I, you know, I go to websites for like cooking and, and bringing up recipes and things like that. And a lot of them have just a ton of extra junk around the recipe. So it can make it dis- difficult to see the recipe or if you want to, you know, save that off somewhere got all kinds of extra data and stuff like that. And uh, John said, hey, I use this site called Just the Recipe. And it has recipes on there and it's just the recipe data. So you can find and search for that stuff and all you're going to get is the pertinent information that you want. And then that also led into a bunch of us talking about third-party apps because I mentioned I, I, that... I, wanted, I want to offer a yeah. slight correction for Just the Recipe. Oh. It is a site where you paste in the URL of another Sorry, recipe right. yes. and it strips out all the strips clutter out. and the ads and gives you a recipe that you could print or do something with. So that, Thank that's you for that correction. Yeah, of course. I forgot yeah. that it's it's like a URL shortener kind of thing. Yeah, it's like URL shortening cleaner. the URL. It shortens the content. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it cleans up the, and you get the image and you get all the ingredients and everything. Yeah. Down. And so it was very similar to some of these third-party recipe apps. Uh, I use one called Pestle, and it can you can either copy and paste in the data or put in a URL or whatever, and it will basically put everything into the app and give you the image and give you the ingredients and give you the instructions, and it separates oh. it all out and formats it and look, makes it look really, really beautiful. This makes it look like one of those one of those things that we get from like the meal kits that sponsor us sometimes, right? Like it 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 takes a recipe and turns it into those you know step by step instructions, which makes life really easy. Yeah, yeah, and you can even you can print it out if you want if you you know want paper copies and stuff like that, and it'll format it really really nicely. It does conversions, so if you need to. You know, if it's a six serving meal and you can just say, I need a three serving version and it'll convert everything for yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of other people and, really and recommend share play. it. Pestle supports share play. So you can have two people or multiple people working on the recipe together. I'm just seeing that. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, the cool things it's, got a, you know, it's, it's got a ton of great features. I absolutely love it. Uh, and a bunch of people mentioned Paprika, which is a similar app. Um, 
that one I play around with a little bit too. It looks great. And then I guess there's one called Recipe Keeper and one called Mila. So there's a bunch of third-party ones and there were a bunch of cool stuff found, recommendations in there. Like yeah. I said, I, I've been using Pestle. Um, I found that to be my favorite. I, I did play with Paprika. I think the, that developer, I think, had a beta for a while that was on um, uh, Test Flight. And so I think I played around with that early days. But um yeah, so there's cool. a bunch of great ways to get recipes without all the junk. Yeah, yeah, it's handy. Look at the ads the first time, then save the recipe without all the junk. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. I got to check out that pestle thing. I, I, and the reason is that whole share play uh, integration. We, I, I love the the meal kit stuff that we get because it makes it really easy for us to just collaborate in the kitchen and work together as opposed to one person driving the bus. So yeah. So on that, you could either go to the URL because I know a lot of those meal sites give you the URL for that stuff. Yes. Pestle also, and I think a lot of these other apps will do OCR. So you can use your camera and just point it at it. Cause like, especially if you have old handwritten recipes from maybe relatives or like my wife has a big book. And we've scanned a bunch of those in and it will just pick that stuff right up and again, fill everything out for you. Oh yeah. Okay. I know you've mentioned Pestle on the show before. I, I, I didn't, it didn't sink in for me the first time. How, <laughs> how much I probably want this in our lives here. It'll so. iCloud sync and yeah. Yeah, then you have it on all your devices. You can bring your iPad into the kitchen or uh, your Mac or whatever. Interesting. 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 Now they just now they just need a uh, a Vision Pro version that puts my recipes up over my everything that I'm cooking along with timers and yeah yeah, yeah. and and (laughs) the bonus of the Vision Pro is when you're chopping onions you'll uh, your eyes maybe won't water as much because they're you know sort of sealed in a little ish maybe I don't know if that's a good (laughs) idea have you uh, calculated the delay between what you see like. If you clap your hands, do you see them clap the moment you feel them clap? Like, okay, so yeah. you, you, would you feel I, I comfortable Apple's with a knife? Latency oh. is under 200 milliseconds, which we talked about yeah. earlier, right? Yeah. Go. So you probably won't cut your finger much. Yeah, much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Jo- Joanna Stern did did a whole cooking in it, and a okay. bunch of people have done cooking. And so the number one thing is the timers you can affix. You can bring up multiple timers just in Apple's regular timer app and fix them above each item. So like wherever you look that timer for that thing is right above oh that's cool it's being timed oh, that's cool. yeah right <laughs> yeah I, there. I actually i i have some experience with this not with a vision pro but with a blindfold lisa and i our, our daughter gave us one of these like books for date ideas you know and so and you can narrow it down in the book it like you pick do you want to go out do you want to stay home you know do you do you want to have like you know you, all these categories and you but you don't know what the activity actually is. And and you pick, okay, you know, I, we've got a couple hours so we can do this or whatever. And so we pick this one and then, you know, you tear off the page and find out what it was. And it was like, you're going to cook a meal together. But uh, the person doing the cooking is blindfolded and the person, uh, the you know, the other person is, is telling you what to do. And so... Uh, I was the one that was blindfolded with Lisa, you know, it was a trust exercise while making dinner. And right. I, and I did, I, I did uh, chop like onions and stuff that way. And it was totally fine. I've chopped onions before. It was not my first time chopping onions, but like, I know what to do. I know how to use it. Like it was, it, it was, it was fine. So I was, I was more deliberate 
with it than I would be if my eyes were on the subject. Still got all your. I just still got, yeah, I still got all my fingers, Pete. Yep, that's right. The, the one, the one thing with the Vision Pro is you make sure you have a well lit kitchen because it does not oh. do really great with low light. Like yeah. the pass through and low light is yeah, yeah, pretty grainy and bad. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Matt had a while we're on cool stuff found. Uh, Matt had a great idea for cool stuff found, and it's cooking related. He says, uh, actually, Matt. Uh, says it wasn't his idea. It was his wife's idea. He says, we attached a magnetic car mount, MagSafe car mount for iPhone to the inside of one of our kitchen cabinet doors where ne- right near where we cook. Since upgrading to the iPhone with MagSafe, I found a simple flat MagSafe disc uh, on Amazon and added it to the uh, car mount. Or, so you could use a MagSafe car mount or you could do whatever you, you know, however you want to do it. And he says, we both share our recipes using the Paprika app. But I've moved to the Mila app more recently, all of which are linked earlier. But he said by putting his phone, putting, you know, sticking a MagSafe thing to the inside of his cabinet, now he can have his phone up with the recipe on it or his favorite podcast or both. And it's up where his eyes are going to see it. He doesn't have to worry about his phone like, you know, on the counter with spills and, you know, getting covered up by stuff. So really brilliant idea. I like that um, using MagSafe inside the cabinet. I got to. Huh. Yeah. Even just a MagSafe stand on your, you know, kitchen counter just to get the phone up, even if it's not inside a cabinet, just, you know, something like that one from uh, we talked about recently from Zag, uh, maybe under the Mophie oh. brand that yeah. uh, that telescoping stand. I'll, I'll find the link for it and put that in the show notes, too, because that as well um, was was pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah. If you could run it into power even some way and route some cables and. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This would be a great, great use for an old iPad too. Just perma mount. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that, that telescoping stand would be the kind of the key to this. So. Yep. Yupper. All right. My wife uses her MacBook air. In the kitchen, it always makes me nervous. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Occasionally, Lisa, she's usually with her iPad, but uh, but this telescoping stand. I mean, it's not cheap. It's hundred and fifty bucks. So, but it's char. It's a three in one charger with you know your watch yeah. and all that other stuff. But some kind of telescoping stand or um, something. I have a. Uh, you could get a clip stand that with a gooseneck that you clips onto the kitchen counter and then, you know, you just put it wherever you want it. So I know they make like make mounts for like, uh, your refrigerator, you know, like yeah. magnets to the refrigerator, but yeah. that's less convenient because most people you're going to have to turn around, turn around over to your fr- refrigerator to see the, the recipe. That's fair. I like this idea of it being right, you know, like above the stove or next to the stove at eye level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Fun stuff. I like all this. This is uh, this is why we do the show, so we can learn all these cool things. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for hanging out, everybody. Thanks for sharing the show with your friends. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Make sure to check out our sponsors at MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors. That will have not only this week's sponsors, but sponsors from the last eight or ten episodes, and then also the ones that we manually highlight in there for you that might not even be current sponsors but have good deals 
And hey, go back and listen to my ad reads if you skipped them. ChatGPT writes all my scripts, so I think you might like it. Pete, you got uh, you got anything to add? Oh, right there on my shirt, it says it. Don't get caught. Made on a That it does. That it does. See ya. Later.